For the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be reading and studying the story of Joseph, which comes to us from the book of Genesis, starting in chapter 37. The story of Joseph is uh, quite a lengthy one. It stretches over 10 chapters of the book of Genesis, and they're long, heavy chapters, and there's tons of details and twists and turns. There's far more than we could pack into five weeks. So if you're interested in picking up some pieces along the way, you're welcome uh, to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37. It sort of stops and starts its way to about chapter 40, um, or sorry, about chapter 50 uh, in the book of Genesis. Today we're going to be starting with just chapter 37, and we'll see sort of how the story begins. Jacob is the father of this family, and the story picks up following uh, the sort of tumultuous trials of Jacob coming to the point where he now has wives and children of his own. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably of him. Once, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and words. Again, he had another dream, and he told his brothers, saying, Look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this matter in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. And so he sent Joseph from the valley of Hebron. Joseph came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering among the flocks. The man asked, What are you looking for? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? The man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams." But when Reuben heard this, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. Reuben said, Shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him. That then he thought he might come and restore him to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with the sleeves that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum and balm and resin on their way, carrying it to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our very own flesh. And all of his brothers agreed. Some, when, when some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben later returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where can I turn? Then they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This is what we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. And Jacob recognized it, and he said, This is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments. He put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters sought to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son in mourning. Thus his father bewailed him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of his guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the story of Joseph is one of the most beloved stories that comes to us out of the ancient Near East. It appears in several different forms in all sorts of ancient texts and scriptures. It's here, as we're starting to read, in the Hebrew Bible, which is revered by both Christians and Jewish communities. But actually, the story of Joseph is also a full chapter of the Quran called a surah, Surah Joseph. It's actually the only chapter of the Quran completely devoted to an individual prophet. Joseph is considered a great patriarch or a father of the faith in the Jewish and Christian traditions. He's also considered one of the great prophets of Islam. And of course, we all know he's a character whose story is juicy enough and interesting enough that it warranted the attention of Andrew Lloyd Webber for the famous Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's really a fabulous, wonderful story. And like I said, it spans about 10 chapters of the book of Genesis. And it's far more than we'll be able to cover in five weeks. But we're going to do our best because it's sort of this fantastic little soap opera about a tremendously dysfunctional family and the many ways God continues to reach out to them in faithfulness and in generosity. So Joseph, as we heard, was born the youngest of 12 brothers to the great patriarch Jacob. Now, the family of Jacob is set up from the very start to be a soap opera because Jacob had not one, but two different wives. And those wives, they were named Rachel and Leah, were actually sisters, and he was tricked into marrying Leah. So, of course, he loved Rachel more than Leah, and there's this whole great story about him marrying Leah by accident when she's wearing a veil on their wedding day and not realizing until the next morning because he was too drunk the night before to realize he had married the wrong sister. 
Now, of course, Jacob had these two wives, but the two wives had two slaves. Their names are Bilhah and Zilphah. And Jacob, it turns out, had sons and daughters by all four of these women. So they are generally referred to as the four wives of Jacob. As you can tell, this is setting itself up to be a somewhat problematic family from the very start. Now, Jacob's favorite wife was Rachel, and Rachel had one son. His name was Joseph, and he was the youngest of the twelve, and he sort of naturally became his father's favorite of the whole bunch. And in case it weren't obvious by the way he treated young Joseph, Jacob went out of his way to honor him, making him this long-sleeved, fancy robe that he would wear around. This visible reminder to his 11 older brothers and countless sisters just who was dad's favorite kid in the family. Now, I don't need to tell you that any good parenting book out there is going to tell you that playing favorites, and especially obvious visible favorites with your children, is a setup for disaster in your family. And these older brothers, of course, did take notice of what was happening. They noticed the favoritism. They noticed the coat. They noticed all of this special treatment. And the Bible tells us that they hated their brother Joseph. Now, things went from bad to worse for the teenage Joseph when our story begins, because one of the things that made Joseph really special is that he is one of the characters in Scripture who regularly receives dreams from God, dreams that tell him something about the future. And being perhaps a naive teenage boy, Joseph makes this mistake, not once, but twice, of telling his brothers and his fathers about these dreams that he's been having. Uh, The picture on the cover of your bulletin today is an artistic interpretation of these dreams. The first is that one night while he's sleeping, Joseph sees 11 sheaves of wheat in a field bow down before his own 12th sheaf of wheat. And on another night, Joseph dreams that the moon and the stars, or the moon and the sun and 11 stars bow down before his own star in the sky. And the implication here is not hidden to anyone. The implication is that Joseph really did think that God was telling him his whole family, his 11 older brothers, his mother and his father, they would all at some point in time bow down before him, the youngest of them all. Now, needless to say, this did not go over well with his family members. It was bad enough that he was dad's favorite, but Joseph really seems to be going out of his way to antagonize his family as much as possible. He's sharing with them these visions that would speak counter to everything his brothers would expect. Now, who knows? I mean, Joseph, maybe he was being a dumb kid. Maybe he didn't know what he was doing, or maybe he was just coddled enough as the youngest child to honestly be deluded into thinking that the others would be proud of him for having these dreams and visions. But whatever the reason, these dreams turn his brother's rage from a simmer up to a full boil. Time passes, and the 11 older brothers go out to watch the sheep near Shechem in the hills of Dothan. And Jacob decides one day to send young Joseph out just to check on him check in, make sure they're doing okay. And the brothers see Joseph from afar, walking over the hills toward them, and they hatch this plan to murder the young dreamer. Now, one of those brothers, Reuben, seems to have some shred of decency left in him. And so he encourages his brothers, let's not kill him. You know, it's messy. We're going to get blood on our hands. No one likes that. Let's just go throw him in a pit out in the middle of the wilderness. 
And Reuben secretly thinks later he'll be able to sneak back to the pit and rescue his brother. And so the brothers go and they strip Joseph of his cloak and they throw him in the pit. But as so often happens in a good soap opera, things don't go according to plan for Reuben. The brothers, while they're sitting having lunch one day, spot a traveling band of traders and merchants and they see potential for a business deal. And so they sell young Joseph into slavery because, you know, you might as well make a little money on the side of committing family treachery. I mean, what good is it if you can't make a couple of silver coins? Later, Reuben comes to the pit and he discovers the sale of Joseph and he is furious and he's racked with guilt and he tears his clothes and demands the truth of his brothers. And upon hearing what's happened to Joseph, he and his brothers hatch a new plan. They decide that they're going to bury their deceit under the guise of an animal attack. They soak Joseph's beautiful coat in blood to fool their father, Jacob, and they send the coat back. And the plan works. Jacob is tricked. He thinks that his beloved, favorite, youngest son has been mauled by wild beasts. He tears his clothes. He weeps in grief and agony. And so far as the 11 brothers are concerned, their treachery has been finished. It's covered up. Joseph is miles away in slavery, never to be heard from again. The skeleton has been stuffed in the closet and effectively hidden. And that's sort of exactly where we find Joseph at this point. He is, in fact, miles away, being sold as a slave into the house of Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard for the pharaoh of all of Egypt. And as you can see, this story starts from a place pretty much devoid of any good moral lessons. Like, we don't want to copy any of these characters in our story this morning. None of these are particularly emblematic biblical figures at this point in time. We have four wives and 12 sons and countless daughters. There's sibling rivalry and greed and murder and lies and slavery and favoritism and arrogance and so much more that we just would not want to play out in our own families. No one in this first story comes out looking all too good. I mean, the brothers, it's obvious. They're awful here. They're contemplating murdering one of their own brothers. I mean, Reuben kind of seems okay because he tries to derail the plot. But really, when everything goes haywire, Reuben doesn't care enough to tell his own father the truth. Reuben commits this lie that Joseph has died mauled by a wild animal. And Jacob, the father, I mean, we don't hear much from him in this passage, but it's a dangerous game for any parent to openly play favoritism with their children, let alone one of their four wives. Jacob is not exactly a real likable guy here. And even Joseph, who we know is going to become the great hero of our story, Joseph is kind of a little jerk in this first chapter that we meet him. He's young and he's arrogant. He's more than willing to bask in the affection of, and the favor of his father. And he's dumb enough or cocky enough, who really knows, to share these dreams of his older brothers bowing down before him, not once, but twice. I mean, he's not exactly a sympathetic character. We don't want him murdered or sold into slavery, but we don't really like him either. It's a really inauspicious start for this complicated, dysfunctional family. And I think that this start is what makes this story so memorable for us and for our Jewish and Muslim brothers and sisters thousands of years later. It's what makes this story compelling for people who have never set foot into a house of worship. It's why people go and see the Broadway play, because this start has so much that is human in it. 
I mean, I really hope that none of us uh, grew up in or are currently running homes where fratricide is something we're regularly contemplating. But aside from the sort of exaggerated details of this story, it's a pretty profoundly human place to begin. Favoritism and anger and jealousy and arrogance and grief and stupidity, these are all recognizable human traits that we ourselves have experienced. And that's sort of what I want us to dwell in with this story for this week ahead. I want us to sit for a little bit in what is grimy and dirty and somewhat despicably human about this story. We may not act on it. I hope we don't act on all these things, but I know at least I can relate to the jealousy that is felt by Jake or Joseph's brothers. And I know that I can also relate at times in my life to the arrogance and the pride that Joseph feels, or even to the somewhat unwise actions of Jacob, the father. I mean, as we'll come to see in the coming weeks as we read this story, God's graciousness, God's favor and mercy weaves into the story of this dysfunctional family in surprising ways. But before we get to God's mercy, I think we have to spend some time here at the beginning in the humanity of it all, sort of sharing that beginning of the story. Because it's here, as Joseph is walking on the dusty road to slavery, and as Jacob is grieving in the dark corners of his homes, and in the hardened and angry hearts of the older brothers, it's in those kind of everyday human experiences that God will meet us to do surprising things. So this week, As we prepare to go further into this story, I would invite all of us to take some time to think about the places where we experience most what it means to be human, in the messy components of that, in our relationships and our emotions, the way, the things that we think that we don't necessarily act on in the world. Because I think for Joseph's story to have a real impact on us, I think we need to be in touch with those parts of ourselves, both the joyful and the painful. And then we'll stay tuned in the weeks to come, same bat time, same bat channel, same bat pulpit, uh, as we look for the inbreaking of God's graciousness and mercy into the life of Joseph, and then hopefully into our own lives as well. So thanks be to God. Amen.